Sorry to uh, break up the fellowship and the food. I know everybody's been starving all weekend. This was your first chance to get to eat something tonight, so... And now I've injected myself between the food and our appetites, but... I'm thankful for the opportunity to uh, report a little bit on some of the work uh, that uh, I've been doing, and um, it's always a a privilege to report to you. Um, I feel like this is my home presbytery from which I've been sent, and it's an opportunity and a privilege to report back on what the Lord's doing through um, the labors of myself and my family, and uh, working with a great committee on behalf of the OPC. So thank you for this opportunity and and your our time here. So in 2010, my family left this area to head to Philadelphia to carry out this work. Um, I wear three hats. One is to coordinate short-term missions, and that was the predominant work in the first few years was to try to organize a short-term missions program for the OPC. Southern California Presbytery has a rich history of short-term missions going through the Team Baja years and then from there to send in teams further and beyond. And uh, it's been wonderful to see that continue. And uh, I, I really thought a lot of presbyteries would mimic that. It hasn't really happened necessarily, but a lot of churches and uh, in, in other ways are, are sending teams to our various fields. And uh, so we'll talk about that. And then, and then secondly, the hurricane in 2005 that hit our shores. Uh, hurricane Katrina was kind of a, a wake-up call for, to try to respond to disasters. And many people wanted to go and respond. And we actually sent a couple teams from this presbytery uh, to help out there. And so we agreed we needed to figure out how to do disaster response. At the same time, the work on the Committee on Diagonal Ministries was growing and developing. And um, I happened to be on that committee, and that committee was seeing that really for the work to move forward, they needed some sort of an employee to help carry out that work, an administrator. And so kind of cobbling these things together was enough to justify a full-time position, and, and uh, I was asked to do that. The Committee on Diagnostic Ministries has uh, about six functions, and I'll just give you those in kind of a, a thumbnail sketch. We work with the Presbytery Diaconal Committees. Uh, we like to say that diaconal ministry, or the work of the deacons, is inherently local, and um, they are a resource to the local deacons when the needs exceed the, 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 the capacity of a local congregation. We also are concerned to make sure that our retired ministers and widows are cared for. And there's a good number of them in the Presbytery of Southern California. And so once a year, we send a list, that list of retired ministers and widows, uh, to the Presbytery Diaconal Committee, asking them to touch base, see how they're doing. Are they being well cared for? Are their needs being met? And uh, who more worthy of the diaconal care of the church than those who've, who've given their life in, in, in service to the church, our, min- our ministers? And so we're very thankful to do that and have the resources to do that. The committee's received uh, significant resources through what's now called the Obadiah Fund. And then, as I mentioned before, disaster response, where we serve to coordinate that. 
We have sister denominations around the world who have needs, and they come to us, and we can respond to those with gifts to the Committee on Diac Ministries. We serve to encourage our missionary deacons on the, on the fields. Uh, you may know that uh, the Bob Wright, our long-term missionary deacon in, in um, Uganda, is going through a transition now. He's engaged in some other work that's more suitable to his gifts, and there's been an opening for uh, fill, back in, filling his position in Karamoja. And so uh, we're looking for someone for that position. There's a couple applicants who are in process, but um, if somebody was aspiring to that, they would certainly be encouraged to to apply with the Foreign Missions Committee. But I th- we think that our biggest job, most important job of the Committee on Diaconal Ministries is to encourage our deacons locally. And so actually just this last week, we had our third national conference for deacons, Diaconal Summit in Wheaton College. How many of your churches had deacons there? Yep. Very glad to see that representation. We had over 200 deacons. It's about a third of the active deacons in the OPC who were there. It was very interesting to us that about 70% of them had not been to a summit before. And I'd like to believe, I, I, I do believe, that many of those have been ordained in the last five years. So we're thinking about whether we need to do them more frequently than five years. But it was great to have to have them there. I think it was our best summit. Um, we're learning as we go forward. And our keynote speaker, uh, Dr. David Apple, um, he's the Minister of Mercy at Historic Tense Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, PCA Church there. And uh, he talked to us about how the Lord worked in his life, and then, um, um, and then he used David Apple to develop the significant diaconal ministry, ministries of mercy, in the city of Philadelphia in many different ways. And uh, so he wrote a book called "Not Just a Soup Kitchen." It's not just about ladling up bowls of soup and passing them on to people who can be filled, have their tummies filled, and move on but it's about building relationships with people. And through that, that the um, ministry of compassion of Christ, ministry of mercy, um, can result in people coming to know the Lord and, uh, and receiving that true and lasting compassion. So it was great to be with these many of these ministers of mercy, these deacons. And um, you can pray for your deacons. Um, I, th- I do believe many of them, were, I, th- I think they were all very, very encouraged in their work. And maybe they'll have opportunities to report in your churches on what they learned and uh, as they grow from this conference. One of the things that's been exciting to see is that on our, short, on our foreign mission fields, you'll see them in little circles there. Every single one of them use short-term workers in one capacity or another. Some are welcome to have short-termers come at any time for any length of time. We call those missionary associates. They come for a year or two at a time and serve alongside our missionaries. Wonderful blessing and a a gift to those fields. Some of them are only able to have a team one time a year. Uh, A team coming is a lot of work for a field, and they have to prepare and plan, and, and so they want to use it that team strategically and help them 
uh, move forward that work. Uh, but all of them do in one capacity or another, and it's just a wonderful way for us to have access to our foreign mission field, um, to go there and live amongst our missionaries, eat meals with them, see how they live, see what their work is, see what their needs are, how can we pray for them. Um, so, I don't have on the United States circled, but there are also lots of domestic opportunities as well. And um, all of those opportunities are listed on opcstm.org. Um, and uh, we are um, we send out a monthly newsletter called the Storm Report, short-term outreach, relief, emissions. And actually, I need to pass this around. Oh, just if you could just circulate. So, if you're not receiving the Storm Report and you'd like to receive it directly, um, you're welcome to put your. Uh, your contact info on there and we'll add you to the list and then also um, somebody in one of our churches asked us to make a comprehensive list of all the opportunities in kind of in one place and uh, so Janet my assistant has done that so now this is a PDF that can be downloaded we try to keep it up to date and what we list is all the summer opportunities, all the year-round opportunities, and then go into details on each of those, kind of what's, you know, when they're run, who's the contact point, um, general costs, um, all that type of stuff. And so uh, if you'd like a copy of this for your church, you're welcome to it, and, but you should also know that they're on the website. So, Okay, so the third thing I'm going to talk about, that's short-term missions. The third thing is, is, is an area of study that we've been engaged in for like the last three years. And that's with regards to refugees. And when the whole, we started seeing refugees really become big in the news and in Europe and the Middle East, many people had an interest in knowing how to help. And so we started receiving inquiries, an unprecedented number of inquiries from the churches of how can we help. And so we committed to the church that we would, we didn't have any experience in this or any background, but we committed to study it and see how we could um, faithfully uh, be a part of responding. And so these next slides are kind of a report on that. I'd like to start with asking the question, how do we feel about refugees? I know the feelings are mixed. Um, Americans are mixed on it. Can you help me out with some thoughts on how we feel about refugees? They're in the Bible. They're in the Bible, okay. But how do we feel about refugees? That's not a feeling. What? Afraid. Afraid, thank you for being honest. There's fear. They need to be vetted. Desire to help. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yep. Where do we even start? What can we even do? Thank you. Let's start by talking about what is a refugee. There's actually a very technical definition of a refugee. 
and I'll back up, a refugee is actually a status. It's when you think of those hordes of people flowing up into Europe, we would oftentimes refer to those as refugees. But technically, they've actually are seeking to have that status but haven't achieved it. Actually, that what they're technically better termed is asylum seekers, those who are seeking asylum. They're not welcome in their home. At least that's their story. And they're looking for a place where they can go. Now, in Europe, they just flow over the borders and they flow into those countries. But in America, we're surrounded by two big oceans, two big bodies of water. And so we don't really have them flowing in in that way. Those who come to us are typically refugees. And to be a refugee, your story needs to be checked out, vetted, as somebody said. A refugee is someone who's been forced to flee his or her country because of persecution, war, or violence. A refugee has a well-founded fear of persecution for reasons of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. Most likely, they cannot return home or are afraid to do so. War and ethnic, tribal, and religious violence are leading causes of refugees fleeing their countries. So, it's, it is a refugee is actually an asylum seeker whose story has been checked out. It's been verified that, yes, you had that kind of status. You were running from some well-founded fear, and, um, and your story is true. And usually that process takes oftentimes as much as two years. What do you think is the source of most people thinking about refugees and how to treat them? The media. The media. They say that for Christians, only about 12% have been informed, you know, or have their church talking about refugees or have developed their philosophy on what to do about refugees from the Bible. Um, So hopefully we'll increase that in the next hour, next hour, in the next few minutes. Does the Bible address the topic? What does the Bible say about refugees? Anything? Any? Does the Bible address refugees? I don't think the word refugee actually ex- appears in the Bible. But are there any synonyms? Sojourner, stranger, home, homeless, alien, foreigner, um, and and even if you think about the cities of refuge. The whole concept of a place that you could flee to if you had uh, committed, um, been manslaughter. Thank you. I just was listening to a comedian who was talking about how horrible a word manslaughter is. Um, so that's. Are there any refugees in the Bible? Jesus in Egypt. Jesus in Egypt. Yeah, you hit the most important one of all the people in the Bible to be a refugee. Our Savior, at the age of two, was a refugee. Where did he? Where did they flee to? Egypt. Do you ever think about how ironic that is, that he would go back to, of all places, they would flee to, to Egypt, that place that they had been, that he had rescued his people out of? Do you ever think about how they were treated in Egypt? We don't know. I mean, we don't know how they were treated. We can only speculate. But they were certainly strangers there. That was not. Um, that was they were. They, that was not their homeland. Well, any others? Any other refugees you can think of? 
Yeah, Ruth is an interesting one. Ruth is, was definitely a foreigner in a different land. I don't think she was necessarily running away from Moab, but she definitely welcomed, you know, willingly went with Naomi back. Okay, David, when he was fleeing Absalom, when he was fleeing Saul, even before that, these are this is the authority, by the way. Saul was the king, was was chasing him around. He said, Moses, when was Moses a refugee? When he killed the Egyptian, yeah. Of course, he kind of brought some of that on himself, but was certainly uh, running from, from that. He was later a refugee, later too, when they... When they when he with the people of Israel all left Egypt, Egypt, yeah, and um, and then they wandered, right? And they were without a home, you know, for a long time. Joseph, Joseph is a very interesting, interesting one. He was given that better alternative of as being sold as a slave instead of being killed. His nice brothers. Um, Decided to make a little profit instead of just killing him. Um, so then he was sold as a slave, ended up in Egypt. Um, what else did you say? Jacob. Jacob. Yeah, Jacob, again, kind of brought that on himself a little bit when he was fleeing from his brother after stealing his brother's birthright and that type of thing. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Hagar, Ishmael. Jacob, we mentioned Jacob, we mentioned Joseph, Moses, Israelites, David, Elijah, fleeing Ahab and Jezebel, all the exiles um, going to Babylon and Assyria. Um, so you got, you know, you've got Daniel and Esther and Mordecai, um, and then of course throughout in the early church the whole diaspora and, and where the per, because of persecution the Lord used that to spread the spread the church so you see there's a there's a rich heritage here of this whole theology of refugee of strangers you could even think about christ leaving his home and almost voluntarily taking on the form of a refugee coming to a place that was not his home um and 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 you know living a a very difficult life here um. Yeah, and we mentioned Mary and Joseph. I think that we are living through a very historic time. In 2014, uh, there were about 50 million refugees in the world. Refugees, and 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 this would be asylum seekers. This is people who are not in their homes, internally displaced. 50 million. In 2015, that jumped 20 percent to 60 million. And now it's around 65 million. It's, it's about a 1 in 113 people. It's pushing 1% of the world's population is, out, is not in their home. Um, huge, huge number of people. Syria, the country of Syria, about five, six years ago, there was, you know, it was a peaceful place, generally speaking. Uh, now one in, one in two Syrians is not, not in their home. And you've seen the pictures. I mean, it's it's a wrecked place. It's no wonder. In South Sudan, uh, South Sudan was a country that was formed out of Sudan just a few years ago. They had peace for about a year, and then and then and then they turned into civil war. 
and because of the ethnic civil war that's going on, they're flowing they're flowing south of South Sudan into what country? Uganda, and there is now there is now a um, a camp called Bidi Bidi. That's about nine hundred thousand people. My my son pointed out why is it called Bidi Bidi? It should be called not so Bidi Bidi. Uh, <laughs> Nine hundred thousand people. I was. I had the opportunity. I was um, in Wyoming and and had the opportunity to speak at the Lander Church there. And I said, "What's the population of Wyoming? It's about eight hundred thousand people. So more than the population of Wyoming is in this is in this camp. It's the largest refugee camp in the world. And again, it didn't exist a year ago. So there's. It's not just the Middle East uh, that has these troubles. It's huge. It's a migrant shift." It's reshaping the world in a very short time, and it's not going to. These people are not going to go back. The whole concept of like, well, they'll eventually go back. Pretty much statistically, once they've been, once they've been where they they're at for more than a year or so, statistically, it's just very, very difficult to to go back. In many places, there's nothing to go back to. What does our Lord teach? Three things. First of all, we are called to love. By this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who have the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19. But I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you, Luke 6. And I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in, Matthew 25. We are commanded to not give in to fear. I haven't done the study, but I understand this is one of the most common commands in scriptures. Uh, We are uh, to not fear. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, Matthew 10, 28. In God I trust I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me, Psalm 56, 11. And then thirdly, we are commanded to love the stranger. Deuteronomy 10, For the Lord your God is God of gods. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. When you think of deacons, we often think of two classes of people in the church who are specifically those who should be cared for by the deacons. Who are those? Widows and orphans. But do you know that almost all those passages, not almost all, a good number of those passages actually have a third category, and it's the the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner. These are all categories of those who are the most vulnerable. A refugee is somebody who's left their home, they've left their culture, they've left their language, they've left their family, they've left their friends, their neighborhood, their work, all their schooling may be worth nothing where they go. There are so many ways that they're vulnerable. And um, I often talk about when I'll take a weekend trip and I have the opportunity to talk about this, I'll say that what I've packed for this weekend trip is probably more than most refugees have had the opportunity to pack before they left their home. If you were chased from your home, what would you take if you had 20 minutes to leave? And oftentimes those refugees who took those few items had them stolen from them on the way. Refugees have no rights 
uh, uh, as soon as they leave their country, they're 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 illegally in the next country, you could say, and they're taken advantage of in every single possible way you could think of. Um, it's a it's a horrible plight, and incredibly um, uh, uh, vulnerable, uh, similar to the orphan and the widow. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Again, again you see the, the triad there in Psalm 146. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I think we oftentimes talk about hospitality. Most often in our churches, when we say, hey, I had some people from church over, I did some hospitality. But the root word of hospitality has to do with love for the stranger. And um, how often do we really carry out hospitality? And yet this is what's commanded in Hebrews I'd like to also encourage you that there is really a a huge gospel opportunity here. There's a book that came out a few years ago called A Wind in the House of Islam. Anybody heard of that or read of it? A few of you? Somebody brought this to my attention. And this is a study, a 12, a study of the history of Islam. It's been around 13 centuries. And what they found is that in those first 13 centuries, there was very little movement of Muslims to Christianity. There's a there's a couple instances that they can point to, um, but those are those are um, the circumstances around them make them suspect. So very little, if not possibly no, significant movement of Muslims to Christianity in the first 13 centuries. Then from 1980 to 2000, the author in his study can identify 11 significant movements to Christ, and what he identifies as a significant movement is a 1,000 converts or 100 church plants. He can identify 11 of those in the Muslim world from 1980 to 2000 after 13 centuries of not much happening. From 2000 to 2012, in the next 12 years, he can identify 69 significant movements. You see the trajectory here? There's something going, and hence the the title, A Wind in the House of Islam. Now, did you see this covered on Fox News or CNN? They somehow missed that one. Um, By the way, what world event happened around 2000? 9-11. And who knows what it is 2012 to 2014. Similar to 9-11, radical Islam killing civilians... Similar to that is what ISIS was doing. As a matter of fact, Pastor Shishka was referring to that as he talked about the the 19 or 20 guys out on the beach in orange suits. I never heard of ISIS before 2014. Had you? They existed, but I never heard of them. But that is radical Islam um, uh, uh, carrying out these, these acts. And there's a prognosticator, he says, radical Islam is the death rattle of the Muslim world. When they start getting radical, it's because there's concerns about what's going on. When you hear that there's that a country is 99% Muslim, which there is a lot of those, 
If you hear that, if you heard that they were ninety nine percent Christian, how many true believers would you think it was? Would you think it was ninety nine percent? No, you'd say there's lots and lots of cultural Christians, but really not true Christians. In the same way, I guess I'd like to believe that there are a lot, a lot of cultural Muslims in the world. Cultural Muslims who basically, when they start chopping heads off in the name of Islam or flying planes into the World Trade Center, say, I'm not really into that. And and maybe there's something else we need to look at. So it seems that there might be some openness, growing openness in the Muslim world. And let me just give you a couple of anecdotal evidences of change. The Boardwalk Chapel... Wonderful short-term missions opportunity in the OPC. It's been around since the night, since for more than seventy years, almost the history of the OPC. There's a young man I was talking to who'd been there for four or five years, and he said, "You know, I saw some two years ago." He told me I seen something different. He said we would do, give out tracks on the boardwalk, and a lot of the boardwalk chapel workers are people not not boardwalk chapel, but boardwalk workers are people who come to. Wildwood, New Jersey, to scoop ice cream for as a summer job, international workers. And uh, they'll do that as a summer job. And a lot of them come from Egypt and other Muslim parts of the world. And uh, they would, as they would try to give out tracts, he said, they, he said in, pre- in previous years, they would never even want to talk to me. And he said, this last summer, they, we've had gospel conversations. There's just a, there's an evident change, and then that was that's even grown even more this last summer. So just one evident, anecdotal evidence of of change, um, and then there's missionaries in Iraq uh, who've said that we've been here 25 years and we've never seen an openness to the gospel that we are seeing now. So all that's to encourage you that there is a huge gospel opportunity as as people come out of this what we call the 1040 window that that. That section of the globe, which is pretty much the Muslim world, um, is very difficult to send missionaries in, very difficult for the gospel to get in there. As we prayed for that, the Lord is now, for some reason, choosing to bring those to us. He is sending the foreign mission field here, and that's, I guess, what I'd hope we can view um, from a higher perspective, a bigger perspective, to see that there really is a wonderful opportunity that a gospel opportunity that the Lord's bringing. So what is the, as the, as the OPC has looked at this uh, refugee crisis response, um, one of the thing, two things we've looked for um, in, in how we could participate. One is we're very interested to see the local church doing the work. We don't want to give, give church funds to some big organization um, that's just doing humanitarian work. But we really want to see the local church doing that work where you have the ministry of word coupled with the ministry of deed. We want that word and deed to go forward. That's, that's, uh, that, that, that's a common thread you'll see in what we promote in diaconal ministry. And then secondly, we would love to see some sort of connection that the OPC has in any opportunity that we look at. So we've responded internationally. We've sent funds to Greece. Uh, since last year, we've sent some initial funds to northern Uganda, and we're exploring work in Sudan internationally, and I'll explain each of those further in a second. And then domestically, uh, we are now seeing an OPC evangelist called to Clarkston, Georgia. In Greece, uh, there's a Greek evangelical church there, 
And basically, this is the part of the world where you're seeing the people who are getting on the boats and trying to get into Europe, right? And they're actually, this is called Lesbos Island. This is Turkey. And they're basically, this passage is where those people would get in those, pay thousands of dollars to get on a, to get a spot on a dinghy with a life vest, um, many of them having never been in a boat before. And, and this is actually part of Greece. So once they land on Lesbos Island, they're actually in Europe, their, their first entrance into the European Union. And then most of those people, this is in 2015, most of these people would end up being transported across and would be trying to head up north into Europe, ultimately trying to get to Germany or one of those countries. But in Greece, there's a Greek evangelical church. Predominant, Greece is predominantly um, Greek Orthodox. There's about 10 million people in Greece, and there's about 10 million people in the Greek Orthodox Church. If you're Greek, you're Greek Orthodox, except for very few. And those few, there's about 3,000, only about 3,000 people in the Greek Evangelical Church. It's been in Greece for about 150 years. It's not a sister church of the OPC, but even as we had the opportunity to go there, I had the opportunity to go there in April and see the work firsthand, we were very encouraged to see how like-minded we are. Our main draw here is that we, as we were, um, I was receiving newsletters from a, a deacon in the OPC who was sharing those with me on the work they were doing, and it was very much a work of the local church. And each of those circles uh, represents different churches of the Greek Orthodox Church who were, I mean, sorry, the Greek Evangelical Church who were doing work directly to uh, to refugees, initially providing food, water, you know, relief type of work. And then as the, as the whole flow of um, refugees stopped because they closed the borders um, and they started shutting down those refugee camps, then they basically were relocating those people uh, into the churches. And so many of those people started, they were able to start providing shelter, um, uh, uh, education for the kids. Many of the kids, refugee kids, haven't been in school for years um, as they've been on the go, um, clothing, other stuff like that. And actually, basically, much more of a relational ministry where they're really getting to know the people. We sent, you know, about $30,000, all said. Okay, here's this is Pastor, Milet, uh, Pastor Miletti and his family. We spent about a week with him as he toured us through the country. And here's a bunch of ministers of mercy. I want you to note uh, past Elder Savas and the smile on his face. That was the same smile he had on his face as he, as he showed us on his phone all the photos of the various forms of ministry that they had done for the last two and a half years for refugees. And just grinning from ear to ear as the joy of the Lord was exuding from him as it just has really changed the life of the church as they have given out of significant... Um, they've given out a, the, the Greek in, in Greece. There's 50 percent un, unemployment, so Greece is not flush with cash. But these people very generously were giving uh, in ministry to these, oftentimes who they couldn't even communicate with. They weren't running into too many refugees who spoke Greek, and Savas, his English is not so good, but that didn't in, inhibit him. So here's just some just some photos. I was naked and you clothed me. Um, the the uh, the ladies in the congregation would get together and knit um, all sorts of scarves and hats and gloves. 
Um, once they once they had a bunch together, they would go to the camps. This is the camp in Edomani. Uh, you can imagine people living in these tents, the rain, very cold. Uh, most of these people, these aren't like homeless type people. I mean, they lived in houses like you and I, you know. Um, and so all of a sudden, their livelihood is, is you can see the clothes drying out, you know, in the rain type of thing. And they would be able to provide these warm, warm uh, clothes for uh, these little kids. Big thumbs up there. I was hungry and you gave me food. So they would make a thousand sandwiches and they would do that like two times a week. There was a period of time when they were doing it up to two times a week. Um, it would cost them about $1,500 per run uh, to, to make all the sandwiches. And so all the ladies of the church again would get together and have fellowship as they labored uh, in love towards these strangers. I pray for the Lord's blessing as they would head out. And then they'd get to the camp and um, and distribute. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. And now, more recently, uh, they bought this. This was, I think, a barn. And um, through the gifts that they had received, uh, they refurbished it and um, actually made it into a very nice dwelling for uh, one of the refugee families. This is one of the refugee this families. This is a family from Syria. He was a nurse in Syria, and uh, this little girl, she's actually not their daughter. She's their niece, uh, but she's been separated from her mother for the last year and a half. Her mother has gone ahead. It's very difficult to reunite the, the minors with their, their parents. Uh, but this family was chosen because the uh, mom was pregnant. If you can imagine being pregnant and expecting in a camp like that, um, they chose this family to, to house them. And uh, Pastor Miletti told us, he said, when, when one of the families was ready to occupy their, their housing that was being provided, he said the father of the house, Muslim family, father of the house, wept for about 15 minutes. When he gained his composure, he looked Pastor Miletti in the eye and he said, I thank God that he put love in your heart. And that's the impact that is being communicated as they minister to the stranger when we were there and we had the opportunity to interview one of the families, um, one of the guys who spoke quite pretty good English, he said, you know, it's not going without notice that many of the Muslim-speaking countries are not lifting a finger to help the Muslim or to help the refugees. And yet it's the Christians who are doing it. And these, these people, as they are ministered by these Christians, it's not just impacting them, they're calling their families back home and saying, what we've been told about Christians is not true. They're calling ahead to people ahead. It's been a witness to the church as they minister. And, uh, and even, even each, um, each of those, uh, those who have been very in, personally involved in the ministry um, have been impacted by, by that opportunity. Okay, so that's Greece. Uh, we're continuing to participate, and um, and we'll see even you know as that develops. In Uganda, in northern Uganda, um, because as I mentioned, this this camp developed. Well, you can see where the camp is and where our missionaries are. And many people think, oh, there's this refugee camp in Uganda. Well, we've got missionaries in Uganda. Can't we go help? Well, it's actually a bit out of reach yet. Nonetheless, there is a sister uh, uh, 
sister church, the PCA, has a missionary up there, Jeremy Martin. And so, um, by extension, we can be, participate. It's something that we could have our missionaries go visit and, and, and be involved in, in that way. So we have a connection. The draw here, again, is that, that this is OPC's largest field, and we could have some connection to the work there. Um, there is a ton of there's a ton of agencies, aid agencies up there. Um, so he's trying to um, do work that's much more relational, um, not just you know passing out food and that type of thing. Um, so what, we gave an initial ten thousand, sent an initial ten thousand dollars, but we're gonna uh, we're gonna see how that uh, how that develops. And then thirdly, uh, we're looking at uh, Khartoum. This is exploratory at this point. If you'll notice, here is the country of Eritrea. Eritrea, though it's a small country, is oftentimes on the list of the top countries who have refugees in the world because so many people have fled from Eritrea. Well, and their first stop is Khartoum. Um, we, the OPC has had a relationship with Eritrea almost since the beginning of the OPC. Our first, some of our first missionaries were to Ethiopia, the Duffs. And uh, as long as we've had an opportunity to have missionaries, as long as there's not a war that's by which we're kicked out, uh, we're there. And it's actually an open foreign mission field uh, of the OPC now. If we could go back to Eritrea, uh, if we were welcomed back, uh, I'm sure we'd have missionaries there. So there's a very significant concern for Eritreans. And also, there is ministering in Eritrea um, right now some of the students of our missionaries in the past and uh, ministering to Eritreans. And so, actually, um, Jonathan Falk, retired missionary who ministered in Eritrea, along with Douglas Clausen and myself, will be, Lord willing, visiting Khartoum in September to uh, see what the work is and see um, if this is something that we can be a part of. Uh, So we'll stay tuned on that one. And then domestically, there's some very exciting developments happening. Um, speaking of Eritrea, there is, uh, do, do you know the name Pastor Zacharias Abraham? We prayed for him for years. Uh, he was the pastor in Eritrea. He fled Eritrea. He became a refugee. And his family became refugees. They were separated from each other for about three years. He came to the States, was able to get to the States. He is now an OPC minister, maybe the only OPC minister who was a refugee. The Lord called him to be the pastor of Redeemer OPC in Atlanta, Georgia. Fifteen minutes from where he is pastoring, there's a town called Clarkston, Georgia. Have you ever heard of Clarkston? Clarkston is probably the highest concentration of refugees in the United States. Providentially, 15 minutes from where probably the only OPC pastor who was a refugee is now the pastor. Do you think that's a coincidence? Probably not. Just this last month, that church has called an evangelist to reach out to Clarkston, Georgia. And so as people come to the Lord, they can be a part of Redeemer Church, but ultimately maybe it can be an individual church, a particular church. 
Um, and so we'll see how that that begins. Uh, you can pray for Chris Cashin as he begins those labors uh, in July. This just this next month. Um, they just sold their house in Hickory, North Carolina, and are moving uh, to, to Clarkston area. Many of these refugees are from Africa, so even in that way, Pastor Zacharias uh, has a has a significant connection to them. So no funds have been sent, but we'll see how that develops. So there's a lot of benefits of refugee ministry. Uh, by shining into someone's life at such a desperate time, your labor and witness will stand out against the rest. Um, those who participate will be blessed in experiencing that it's more blessed to give than to, than to receive. And this will truly transform the life of uh, the churches of those who who participate. Some lessons learned in Greece that I would just pass on to you, even as you contemplate refugee ministry. I encourage you to start small. Uh, that's how they did. Um, take the opportunities the Lord places before you. Gain the direct involvement of church leaders. That, that was very significant there and very, very important. Trust the Lord to provide the necessary resources. Again, in Greece, they just they they knew this was the right thing to do and trusted that the Lord would provide, and He has. Understand that we will not be able to respond to everything. We are we are not the Savior. Uh, we represent the Savior. Treat the recipients as individuals and strive to preserve their dignity, thus honoring the Lord through His image bearers. The way they the the the, the church in Greece treated the refugees stood out in contrast with how many other aid agencies would treat them. Again, the contrast of maybe a soup kitchen to treating them with a, with a, uh, a first-class meal. Do not expect the recipients to always be gracious and express thanks. Um, oftentimes, um, despite our uh, wanting to, to, to make it look too uh, glossy and um, pretty, Oftentimes, these people will not always be that gracious. But you also have to appreciate what these people have been through. Many of them are suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. They've been through horrific conditions. They've had family members die. Um, The conditions are very, very difficult for refugees, and so... um, uh, there's a lot of stresses uh, that that they have. Strive to find meaningful work for the male refugees in particular. Idleness makes them dangerous. Another thing that we learned while we were there, Pastor Maletti point, pointed out, what has God built men to do? Not a rhetorical question. Work. He's built them to work. What has he naturally built women to do? care for their children, raise their children, feed their family. When they're in a refugee camp, when they're on the move, what are the women doing? They're continuing to do what most likely most of them were doing in much more difficult circumstances. What are the men doing? Maybe helping out, but certainly not doing the work that they were used to doing. And actually it struck me how the pastor said, he said, these men being idle, he says, and in the camps and stuff, is dangerous. And I think it is dangerous. I think if you took away my work, and I think if I took away your work, men, I think we'd probably get surly with each other. We'd start being 
cantankerous. We would not be so loving. And I think that that's a, just to paint a little bit of a broader picture of what probably is, is going on in a lot of these places. But ultimately, don't grow weary in doing good. How to begin to explore. Take the role of a learner. Read a good book on the subject. Some really great books that have just come out because, this, again, this is such a contemporary and relevant topic. So there's some great books. These, these two I've read. I haven't read these ones on the right, but these two I've read. Very, very helpful books. Strive to simply be a good neighbor. Um, and then, of course, if you want to do a little research, Google's a, a great way to go. If you just Google refugees in your hometown, I bet you they might just be in your backyard. Uh, it's just oftentimes we're not aware of it. Visit and volunteer at ministries dedicated to immigrant and refugee ministry. Those who are interested in engaging in, in refugee ministries, there are a lot of ministries already going on and just plugging into what's going on. A lot of it is teaching English. That's a big one. When a refugee comes, they have pretty much three months to become self-sufficient. That's the goal. Well, to be self-sufficient, you probably need a job. To get a job in the United States without a car is really, really hard, right? So you need to get a car. How do you get a license if you don't know English? I mean, you just start adding the, the layers, and pretty much they really need to learn English. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity to, to teach the English. Discover needs that I can meet and be ready to meet them. Check in with colleges and universities. Contact the resettlement agency in your area. World Relief uh, is the resettlement agency that we've uh, grown to really appreciate. Uh, and pray for wisdom. And that's where I will end. Do you have any questions? Okay, thank you. Can I close in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to um, reflect on what your word says about the stranger and the sojourner. And we just pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom even as we live through this historic world event. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that the um, your word would um, and your church would shine into this um, this historic time and that the truth would be known, that many would come to know you through the opportunities of diaconal ministry. And um, just pray, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom in how to even uh, play a role even in our own communities in ministering the love of Christ to others through um, acts of kindness and compassion, uh, even as um, our Savior came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for for many. Just pray, Lord, that you would work through this world event and in the lives of the refugees that you would minister to them. And particularly, we do lift up before you the Christian refugees, and we pray that we may have particular opportunities to minister to them. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.